Hello, everyone. I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Newham. And welcome to another How to Behave edition of the Dinner Party Download. That's right. To celebrate the release of our new book, Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party, we are revisiting the segment of our show that gave rise to it in the first place, the etiquette segment. Yes. Each week, listeners send in their questions about how to behave, which we would then pose to famous people. And the main thing we learned is that a lot of you need guidance about how to act like adults. Oh, my God. So we decided to do our small part by writing a how-to guide for throwing dinner parties. A.K.A. recess for adults, as we call it. And, uh, yeah, as a sort of companion to the book, we have compiled some of our favorite etiquette segments. This week, it is our celebrity edition featuring guests like movie star Cameron Diaz and everyone's favorite drag queen, RuPaul. But first up, Sir Ian McKellen, a master thespian known for his roles as Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings and Magneto in X-Men. Rico posed him our first listener question. Here's something from Joe in Dublin, Ireland. Joe writes, In a theater, when shuffling sideways down a tight row of seats, should we face away from those who are seated or face towards them? Mm. Yes, well, you have two problems. You have to attend to the person sitting down or maybe standing up to let you go by and the person in the row in front. So who's coiffure you don't want to upset. So um, my suggestion is go sideways... Mm. Present your uh, rear view to the person sitting in the second row so that you can attend to the person sitting in front of you. Because if you were the other way around, which might seem to be more polite to the person sitting down, you might be banging the row in front. So With your butt. The, the, the golden rule is face the stage. All right. Mm. The, now we know. Now there's an official answer to that. It's from a pro. So this next question comes from Daniel in Boston. And Daniel writes, as the most perfect speaker of the most perfect English on the planet, I believe that's you. Steady on. <laughs> what's the politest way to correct others' pronunciation? Oh, never, never correct anyone's pronunciation. Really? Mm. No, I mean, you can, you can do it if a name comes up in the script and all the actors have to agree on how it's pronounced. But no, in real life, no, no, no. So if, if someone calls me Jan McKellen or even Jan yeah. McKellen, which is an unfortunate name for an actor, I <laughs> would accept it. Does that happen? People mispronounce your name? Well, particularly at Buckingham Palace when they're giving you a knighthood. Yes, I've discovered. <laughs> I was announced as Mr. Jan McClellan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sir Jan. Well, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't correct Her Majesty. There you go. Two pieces of advice, Daniel. Do not correct someone's pronunciation and do not correct Her Majesty. <laughs> there you go. Here's something from J.R. in Virginia. J.R. writes, under any circumstances, is it okay to ask a performer to say one of his or her most noteworthy lines? You shall not pass comes to mind. Mm. Well, uh, I'd rather you didn't ask me. Uh, Mm. I'll decide whether I'm going to speak that line out of context. Uh, You know, I'm not a stand-up comic who has a, a, f- a funny catchphrase. I've always thought it would be nice to have your own music so that when you walked out onto a stage, <laughs> your theme tune was played. Oh, I like it. No, yeah. no thanks for the memory. You know? <laughs> not, not so easy if you're playing Macbeth, though. Uh, no, quite. Well, I don't know what the song would be. Um, what's the question? <laughs> he said, is it okay to ask a performer to say one of their noteworthy lines? No, and- it isn't okay. No, it isn't. No, nor is it okay to take his photograph without asking first, which on the whole people do. All right, there you go, right. JR. This next question comes from Alf in Los Angeles, and Alf writes, if you, Sir Ian, were to marry another fellow, how would you address your significant other? The wife of a knight is referred to as lady, but what is the gay married version of that? Well, I know that's a very, very good question, and, and, and it'll have to be answered. I mean, 
men refer to their husbands and, and women, mm -hmm. lesbians, refer to their wives. Mm -hmm. sure. That's okay. I, I, I think if you're a sir, mm -hmm. Sir Ian, the other chap could be a consort. <laughs> oh. Doesn't that result in a power imbalance? It feels like if you're calling your significant other a consort. Well, with regard to your title, yes, because the title is yours. That's true. But, I mean, I'll, I don't use my title uh, if I can avoid it. So I think if I had a husband, I'd call him sweetheart or oh. love or the love of my life. And... Oh. Um, Darling. Darling, yes, exactly. Th those are all appropriate names. All right. Unless all right. you're angry, at which case he becomes consort. Consort, okay. And here's something from <laughs> Megan, El Paso, Texas. Oh, I hate this. What do you do when you have to work with someone, she asks, who is pushy and who voices their opinion and comments on every topic? Uh, well, you, you've got to be very careful uh, when you're working with someone not to tell them what you think about them. Of course you're observing them. But as my favorite director says to me, Ian, will you stop bothering about other people's performances and get your own right first? And I, oh. I think that's, that's what we should all really do. I've, you know what? You bring up an interesting question. You were talking about the director will give you that note. Is it difficult, having been in so many movies, working with like a young director? Well, you, you, uh, you can learn an awful lot from people who are younger than you and less experienced. Hmm. Sometimes by their mistakes, but mm. you know, when I was watching uh, Martin Freeman up close playing uh, The Hobbit, mm. I just marveled at his facility. What did you learn from Martin, do you think? Well, I learned from Martin never to do it quite the same each time uh, on, on each different take and, and to genuinely believe he was saying the thing for the first time. I mean, it sounds obvious, but he, he does that to such perfection. I see. He's, by the way, that thing I would learn from Martin Freeman is how to dress. That guy is a natty dresser. He is a natty dresser, isn't he? Yes, he tries to get me to go to his tailor. Not a chance, Martin. <laughs> Why not? Too natty for you? Yes, I don't want to look natty. I want to look glamorous and um, <laughs> want my clothes to flow, not constrict me. But you know what? I, I'm thinking of you. Do you remember uh, when you did the thing with Ricky Gervais in Extras? Where you're, you're wearing a kind of a Hawaiian... Ricky Gervais? I've never heard of him. <laughs> Distancing yourself from him, are you? Uh, but you're kind of wearing a Hawaiian shirt in that, and you got like a kind of a coral necklace, and you seem very casual, very L.A., is that you? Well, could be. I'm wearing a necklace as, as we speak. Can you hear it? Describe it for the folks. I don't know what it's made of. It, yeah. it could be papier-mâché painted and varnished, or it could be little <laughs> shells. All right. There you go, Meg. I think we answered your question somewhere in there. Yeah, we have one last question. We'll, we'll, we asked this of each of our guests. The question is, what's okay. the most memorable get-together you've been to? Well, when I was um, living in the Hollywood Hills in the early 90s, would it be making a Gods and Monsters an apt pupil for Brian Singer? I, yeah. I invited to supper uh, Susan Sarandon, uh -hmm. David Hockney, the painter, wow. yes, and, and Gore Vidal wow. and his partner. Yes. And I cooked for them the two things that I cooked best, and they didn't particularly go well together. One was a curry... And then an English trifle, which is a confection of uh, yeah. jello and custard and, and cream and fruit. Well, Gore ate an awful lot of this uh, food. Very gratifying <laughs> for the for the cook and host. Yes. And and the conversation was free ranging and and spirited. I mean, the, the, there were three, four gay men in the room and and, and, and one straight woman, and uh, that that's quite a good combination for a, a happy party. But at the, uh, the the next day it was the on my answering machine, telephone answering machine, there was a message which said, uh, "Ian, this is Gore. Yesterday you supplied me with the most wonderful meal." 
I have ever eaten wow. in Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> Followed, may I say, by the most satisfactory bowel movement of my entire life. <laughs> Gore. Tell me you saved that. I wish I'd, I wish I'd kept No, oh, I didn't man. save it, but that's what he said, word for word. To have been oh, a fly on that wall would have been genius. <laughs> thank you for sharing that memory with us. And thank you for telling your audience how to behave, Sir Ian. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Sir Ian McKellen, there is a documentary in the works about his life and career. It is called McKellen Playing the Part. Clever title. And speaking of clever titles, folks, we're in the midst of our special How to Behave series, the Celebrity Edition. Wow. Apologies to Trivial Pursuit. Uh, We're naming it this because it's filled to bursting with super famous guests. Like, for instance, Golden Globe-nominated actor Cameron Diaz. That's right. Here she comes. You likely know her for starring in There's Something About Mary, Being John Malkovich, and the Charlie's Angels franchise. When we spoke to her, she had just released her second book, which is called The Longevity Book. Brendan started things off by asking her about it. You describe your new book as a look at, quote, how the female body ages and what we can all do to age better. And I think we all know exercise and eating right would help us. But you visited labs and universities studying aging. There is like way more cellular biology in this book than we expected. Well, that's the cool thing about it is that aging happens on a cellular level and we don't even think of it that way. We just kind of look at the exterior, the wrinkles and the sagging. And I did get to study it with and learn from great gerontologists and geroscientists that uh, are studying it, you know, at the cellular level. So are you are you saying my cells have crow's feet too? Because that <laughs> they is do. Really upsetting. <laughs> yes, no. exactly. In that's fact, horrifying. that's exactly. Maybe they look ruggedly <laughs> handsome. Well, men men's crow's feet, of course, are celebrated. So it's an awesome thing. Congratulations, your cells <laughs> yeah. have Thank crow's you. feet. <laughs> we'll get into that in a bit. But what what surprised you the most about researching all of this? Maybe something counterintuitive you learned. That... Well, you know, it's a funny thing because we were like, okay, my writing partner Sandra and I, we thought we're going to discover some science to tell us how we're going to be able to reverse um, <laughs> aging and yeah. really basically what it came down to was all the things that everybody's always told us <laughs> which was mm. eat well move your body good night's sleep stress relief mm-hmm. and loving meaningful connected relationships and we were like oh really that's it that's all there is really this book yeah. is actually a pamphlet exactly <laughs> you know exactly but what was really interesting is how all of those five pillars affect you on a cellular level, how it actually does change your cells, as well as finding out that male and female cells are different. We metabolize differently. Our cells take in um, and metabolize very significantly. Medicine, drugs, differently than men's. Our organs are different. Our hearts are smaller. Our arteries are a little bit finer and lacier, which makes it harder to detect heart disease in a woman. Oh, oh, yeah. It's so all of these differences in men and women actually really add up for the well-being of a woman, When especially since science has historically studied anything medical related on men. So it's just in the 1990s that we discovered that females were made up cellularly different than men. Mm. And unfortunately, I think those cells get paid less than the average male cell. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's a bummer. Dang it. Actually, <laughs> actually, speaking of which. Yeah, you say specifically in the introduction that this is not an anti-aging book. You kind of encourage people to embrace their age. Absolutely. But you work in an industry where reporters still ask female actors if they're worried about getting older, where women over 40 get fewer roles. 
all things that discourage women from embracing their age. Yeah. How do you reconcile these two things? Well, I write a book about aging. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. I mean, it's a little extreme, but uh, my opinion, instead of saying, that's not fair, I just went, hey, you know what? There's over 30 million women between the ages of 35 and 50 Mm. in America. Those are a lot of voices. And currently, we're all speaking the language of society that we've been raised with, which is aging is ugly. You know, we should be shamed for it or punished for it. And what I'm asking women to do is to embrace it and say, you know what, I'm okay with aging. I will, I'm going to embrace it because if I'm lucky, I'll get to be older a lot longer than I was ever young. You know, (laughs) one of the things that was very surprising was learning that 150 years ago, life expectancy was 40. So I would have been kaput three years ago. Oh, no. (laughs) I would have been, when those journalists asked me if I was afraid to turn 40, I would have been like, yes, I am terrified of turning 40. That's a very existential question. You know, yeah. So I get another 40 years, hopefully, knock on wood, that I get to celebrate life instead of be, you know, terrified of it. But I think what we're getting at is that it's hard to tell people to embrace that when, for instance, in the case of uh, an actress, it symbolizes the end of your career. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's a lot of actresses in uh, Hollywood who do movies that are totally appropriate for their age, and they get nominated for Oscars every year. So (laughs) they're uh, celebrating actresses that have been around in this business for 30 years who are continuing to do amazing work. But I think it's that sweet spot in the middle where I'm at, where I'm not young anymore, but I'm not quite, you know, I'm not 20 years older either. Uh, so uh, people are trying to figure out what to do with me. Yeah, you're not a grand dam yet. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what's hard for a lot of women my age. You know, you're just sort of saying goodbye to what you understood you were for so long. You were young. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to reconcile as you come up on it. But that's another thing that I ask for with the book is to know what, is ahead of you. You know, when you're a young girl, when you're 12, 13 years old, people tell you you're going to start menstruating, you know, and they talk you through it. Everybody around you Mm. says, this is what's going to happen. So you don't end up having like a carry moment in the shower at school, (laughs) you know, but we don't have that conversation as we get older. Our mothers don't sit us down and go, by the way, honey, one day you're going to stop menstruating and this is what you have to look Uh. forward to. So it's the mindset. How do we embrace this? Uh, inevitable, and that helps carry us through to, you know, do it a little bit more gracefully. Right on. Well, our listeners have written in for uh, advice on the subject of aging and plenty of other topics. Are you ready for these? Fantastic. Sure. All right. right. Our first comes from Julia in South Pasadena, California. My 60-something mom sometimes gets absorbed in iPhone games for hours, which she thinks is good for her mental acuity, but I think is a huge distraction. How should I handle the next time she's been candy crushing for a while? Or... Would you just let her have her fun? Interesting. Interessante. Well, um, a couple of things. Candy Crush is great, fun. It is a, a distraction. I am addicted. Mental acuity is another question because like anything with the brain, you build a network from doing one thing over and over again. But if that's all you're doing, you're not really, yeah. you're, you're yeah. not s- spreading it out. She needs to engage in different, I would either offer her other kinds of games and maybe ones that are actually geared towards uh, mm-hmm. helping the brain. And, or I would just put her on a treadmill while she does candy crush. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Crush them calories. All right. Here's something from Alvaro in the Bay Area. I am Mexican-American with fair hair and complexion and get told a lot that I, quote, don't look Mexican. 
I could expose their ignorance, but I need a polite way to respond. Please hmm. help. I guess, you know, I, I know the feeling uh, being Hispanic myself yep. and and not looking Hispanic. Yeah, sure. And I wish that I was able to speak Spanish when I was a kid because I always thought that would just show people. Mm. <laughs> that would prove <laughs> yeah. it. Exactly. That would prove So I would just, if you speak Spanish, I would just speak Spanish to that person yeah. and blow their minds. <laughs> or uh-huh. you could do like me and just you know, make a pot of black beans and bring it to people's houses and say, see, I'm Cuban. (laughs) There's no way I can fake this. But what should, if he can speak Spanish, what should he say in Spanish? It's Uh like, how dare Uh, you? Oh, interesting. (laughs) I guess I would have to ask that person to prove to me that they were a human being. Ah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Show me some blood. Exactly. There you are. Uh, This one comes from Anne via Facebook. Anne writes, I have a group of friends who meet frequently for potlucks, and everyone brings great food, except for one dude. He brews beer to share. I guess he holds his beer in such high regard that he can't bring himself to make some spinach dip. (laughs) So how do you ask someone to start pitching in, or even maybe gasp, uninvite them from the group? Whoa. I'm guessing she doesn't like beer. <laughs> yeah, <that's> a... <laughs> I, I, I would take I would take a poll to all the other people that come to the potluck and ask mm-hmm. them if they enjoy his beer. Yeah. And if everybody else is down for the beer, leave it alone. But if everybody was like, that beer, you know, <laughs> mm. stinks, it's, then I yeah. would say to him, Hey, you know what's really great with beer? But I don't get it. Seems like some hot wings. It seems like making beer is harder than making spinach dip and more expensive. Absolutely. I feel like Anne just doesn't like this person. I agree. I'm not mad at anybody who brings home brewed beer. So Anne, I think you need to drink a glass of this beer, look in the mirror, and ask yourself, "What is my real problem? (laughs) What's really going on?" Or one more thing, she can just have him listen to this episode, and he'll get the yes. There we go. He'll get the idea. We always encourage that. We consider this show our homebrew beer of radio that we bring everywhere. You don't want to invite us to a dinner party. We just play our show. (laughs) So Cameron Diaz, thank you so much for telling our audience how to behave. You know, I actually have the worst etiquette ever. So (laughs) that was my effort at being proper. Actor and author Cameron Diaz, everybody. And by the way, She was not kidding. Go check out our all-joke icebreaker episode, and you will hear her tell a gag in which the punchline is an F-bomb. A prude she is not. Yes. And our final guest on this all-celebrity edition of our How to Behave show is none other than RuPaul. The best. Probably one of our favorite guests ever. That's right. When we spoke earlier this year, uh, we did have some trouble agreeing on a proper introduction for him, as you're about to hear. Let's roll the tape. Not sure he needs an introduction, but suffice to say, he is probably the best-known drag queen in the world, and possibly best-known drag queen in the world. I, I am the most famous drag queen in the in the history yep. of the world. That's what that we, was, were, we were just about to say that. Okay, <laughs> no, go get it twisted. <laughs> uh, possibly of all time. Possibly of all time. There's more. You've done more than just what? be the greatest drag queen of all time. Possibly. Uh, I don't understand you people. <laughs> all right, I'm going to finish up this lead. Yeah, you've released a slew of hit records. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Duetted with Elton John. Yeah. And last year you won an Emmy for hosting a competition show, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh Uh-huh. You're much easier on Brendan. (laughs) Ninth season of that show debuts March. Well, because I didn't say that he was probably. Probably. Possibly. Um, Ninth season of that show debuts March 24th on VH1. 
RuPaul, yeah. it's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank I you. know you're the best known drag queen of all time. Don't yes. make me the enemy. <laughs> you are the enemy, I'm afraid. I'm down with RuPaul as well. But, <laughs> actually, let us, let's ask you this. If, if you asked, I think, the average person in the world to name one drag queen, they would name you, maybe the late Divine, and they might be unable to name anyone else. What, what do you think made you, above all other drag queens, a, a household name? Probably my breath. Um... <laughs> It, which is marvelous, by the way, Radio Radio Land. It's a delight. No, you know, um, I don't know if they'd be able to name Divine. Most people are really dumb, and I, I, I'm going to speak frankly. Most people don't remember anything. Mm. And I actually, I DJed at a party last night for uh, Planned Parenthood, a benefit, and I really thought people my age. I'm 56. I thought people my age would come out. It was from seven till eleven, mm-hmm. not a late night. Yes, and I brought a playlist that was really suited for them. Well, the people who came were all children who watch our show, children who could get into mm-hmm. a nightclub. The young people really like you. They like, they me, like but, this show. But they don't know who Divine is. They don't okay. know. And that's that's one of the, the reasons our show, RuPaul's Drag Race, is so important is because we end up teaching them about Divine. Uh, I think one of the seasons we had a Divine Challenge mm. where the kids dressed up as Divine. Mm-hmm. We... You know, when I, in my day, we had mentors. And <laughs> Who was your mentor? I had several. When I found my tribe, I had gay mentors who were like 12 years older than me who taught me about Fellini and mm. Tulula Bankhead and Truman Capote and all of the important things. Sort of all the cultural touch points that sort of undergird that movement. Exactly. But after the plague of the 80s, AIDS. those people moved away and the young people didn't have mentors. So what's happened is our show has taken up the slack and yeah. and really taught a generation of kids about Grey Gardens, the documentary, and uh, lots of things that they should know about. What do you think is hardest, actually, that you that you end up teaching them? What's the hardest thing about drag that maybe the casual viewer or the amateur performer doesn't realize? Well, what they really don't realize is that the big message with drag is not about being a woman. It's a commentary and uh, an act of social uh, treason, really, (laughs) to (laughs) say um, you are not the body you think you are. You're not what it says you are on your driver's license. You are an extension of the power that created the whole universe. Hmm. We're not separate from one another. We're one thing, mm-hmm. and that we, that one thing we are is, for lack of a better word, I'm not religious. For lack of a better word, we like to use the word God. That's what we are. We're mm-hmm. God playing dress up. That's that's what drag is is about. We're mocking the ego. We are mocking identity, the concept of an identity. I'm a Catholic, white from. Devore, New Jersey, whatever. You know, all those things. Throughout the ages, drag has been that with shamans or witch doctors or court jesters who remind you that you are more than what you think you are. You are an extension of the power that created the whole universe. Don't forget it. I feel empowered right now. You are. You should. Good. I'm. I, and my work is done here. <laughs> well, not yet, because actually we told our listeners that you were coming and they submitted etiquette questions for you. You ready for these, Rue? Yeah. All right. This first one comes from David in New Orleans, Nolens. Uh, David writes, what's the protocol for addressing someone by their drag name as opposed to their name at birth? Uh, You know, it's not important. Nothing's really important. You know, um, when you are, okay, when you are a sweet, sensitive soul on this planet, what happens is there are these, these stages of realization. The first stage of realization is that you've been lied to, that this whole world is really a hoax. So initially you get angry. And then you become bitter and you become cynical. 
And then the next stage beyond that is where you don't take anything all that seriously. You can laugh about it. Mm. So once um, a lot of people get stuck in the cynicism and the bitterness, but if you're really an ascendant human, you go on to the laughter and not taking everything too seriously. So I'm glad to know that's next for me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in the laughter phase of this, all the pronouns and all that stuff is like whatever. I mm-hmm. don't. It doesn't matter. It's not mm-hmm. important. You don't mind if they use your drag name or your name at birth. It doesn't matter. David, I think give your answer. Here's something from Rachel in San Francisco, California. Rachel writes: Say you're hosting a dinner for a few friends. You send out an email to guests the day before with a menu that consists of, say, Greek chicken, rice pilaf, a cucumber salad, and for dessert, peanut butter pie. Then you receive a response from one of the guests that says, just so you know, I don't like peanut butter. Uh-huh. How do you respond to that? I uh, I don't respond. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, you know, your little things that you have going on inside of you. Your little it, peanut butter problem? Yeah, that ain't none of my business. You, uh, <laughs> you don't have to eat the peanut butter pie. You could have a nice glass of ice water. How about that? There's Dumped on your out. head. <laughs> yeah. You would give them ice. That's nice of you. Yeah. I would just give them water study people people are very particular you know it was a generation of young people who grew up whose parents you know i guess they helicopter them and everything is so particular and so oh but me 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 but what about me mm. what about my special needs yeah. listen that's up to you and your life coach yeah. or your therapist that ain't got nothing to do with me <laughs> you did this to us all right this next question comes from iris in chicago that's a great name. I've always loved the name Iris. Iris, I do too. Um, so Iris writes, My brother came out of the closet last year and now has a boyfriend. My family is 100% accepting of his sexuality and happy to welcome anyone he cares for into the family. But they, his brother and his boyfriend, are very, very affectionate to the point that it makes everyone uncomfortable. Ooh. Now, we'd be uncomfortable if he were doing this with a woman, but we feel like we can't say anything without coming off as homophobic. Mm. Is there a way to ask them to tone it down without making him question our acceptance? Oh, see, now this, this the problem with that question is that she is worried about what he might say afterwards. And that's in the future. If you, if you're fo- you have to be, stay in the now. Mm. If your focus is what might happen down the road, um, that's already a problem. Mm-hmm. What you just come out and you say, um, you know what? I don't want to see that. <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I don't care even if man and woman. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was like, y'all, please. I yeah. mean, I'm trying to eat. I'm, I'm trying to eat my peanut butter pie over here. <laughs> my delicious peanut butter pie. Delicious, yeah. with a followed by a glass of ice, ice cold water. Ice water. Do you want some ice water on your lap? Yes, because ex- you guys are getting too close. That is exactly. <laughs> you know, in in acting class, they, there's this thing where you're taught about a phone conversation. A phone conversation when there's another person in the room. Say you're sitting over there, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to Rico on the phone okay everything i'm doing on the phone talking to rico is actually for your benefit mm-hmm. in, they teach that in acting mm-hmm. class so when people are doing the public display of affection it's not for them oh. it is actually for the other people uh, in the room whether they say so, so or not whether they say so or not so it's important for the other people to say listen i'm on to you i, I got your number hussy <laughs> i know what you're doing and you know what yeah. Don't. Iris, I think you have your answer. Yeah, you just, in just come out and say it. Yeah. Do it. Stay in the now. Um, Justin writes, what are your thoughts on bachelorette party etiquette at drag shows slash gay bars? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> yes. You know, this is, um, this is an important thing. Um, you know, people who live in the mainstream, in the status quo, think that everyone else is there to serve them. Okay, so um, I, I'm brown-skinned gay man, you know, I do drag, I 
early on, I learned that I could do it well and make mm-hmm. money. So people automatically ask me about beauty tips. And I get kids who write me and say, God, I wish you could do my makeup for my prom. Or I wish you could do my makeup for my wedding. I'm like, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm an entertainer, okay? And so, but the, the people don't know how to place me in their consciousness. They think, yeah. oh, you must be here to make me look good. That's what gay guys are, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're an accessory for my straight life. Just because your limited view is mm. that everyone's there to serve you and that you're the only person in the world, yeah. it doesn't work that way. But on the one hand, a bachelorette party going to a gay bar, in a way, could mm-hmm. expand their consciousness. But if they're going as a group of girls, it's something, you know, traditionally, and it's not always, but traditionally, they're going as a group of girls as a way, oh, let's go together, let's go together. So that they don't really have to go outside of their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. They could, they're tourists. They a, yeah, yeah. But it's not really saying, you are fierce and I'm going to respect you, for, you queen, for who you are. Mm. It's like, it's like they're there now. as a party clown. Entertain so, us. So how do, yeah. how, do you, how do you think they should express uh, their appreciation in a more respectful way, do you think? Oh, oh I can tell you in one word. Cash. <laughs> cash. All that philosophy, and it boils uh-huh. down to down cash. Down to cash. And get the money up front, girls. Do it. Here is something from Connie in San Francisco. Here's a beautiful and sort of heartbreaking question. My husband recently passed away, writes Connie. He was just getting interested in drag. When, if ever, is it appropriate to give his makeup and wigs away? We have some friends whose car got broken into and all their drag stuff was stolen. Is it weird for me to offer my husband's things to them? Will they feel compelled to accept it because I'm grieving? What is the etiquette here? I'm sorry to hear that yeah. about uh, her husband. You know, life is, um, you know, the, 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 nobody gives us instruction books with life. And handling grief and all of that stuff, we have to unfortunately learn it, learn it on our own. And this is less to do with the, the clothes. It has more to do with holding on to the people that we love. And those people mm. we love and we that uh, move on, um, they stay in our hearts. They're not in the things. So it doesn't matter what you do. You know, um, I, I, you could throw them away. You could mm. throw them away. Mm-hmm. Or offer it to these people. It sounds like... You could offer them up and say, hey, if you don't want these, you can throw them away. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. We want to put this importance on things. Things are just things. The things that really matter, that stick, are... I'm going to get teary-eyed when I, I get I'm choked up when I say this, is... um is the love that we give and the love that we are, are, allow ourselves to receive. Those are the things that stick. So things aren't important. Nope. Can I have your Emmy Award? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> RuPaul, thanks for telling your audience how to behave. Yes, yes. <laughs> RuPaul, everybody, Bravo. season 10 of his Drag Race is slated for this March. All right, folks. And that concludes the celebrity edition of our special All Etiquette series, How to Behave. And that concludes the dinner party download as well. You can stream all 400-plus back episodes of the show at dinnerpartydownload.org. And to keep up with our next moves as authors and podcasters, head over to brunchesheld.com and sign up for our newsletter. There you can also order our new book, Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party. It's full of further guidance about how to be great guests, hosts, or just full-functioning members of a healthy society. You'll also find that at your local bookstore. It has been an honor and a privilege to serve you with this show. Thank you all, and thanks also to our crew, senior producer Jackson Musker, associate digital producer Christina Lopez, and engineer Ben Tolliday. Let's say it together one last time, sir. Bon Bon appétit. appétit.